The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. Amen. If you would, take your Bibles out and turn to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be in Philippians today and next Sunday, hopefully, or maybe, we'll finish up the book of Philippians and the book of Joy. Uh, I was in Mexico uh, several years ago on a mission trip, and uh, the uh, preacher that was there with us, uh, he was bilingual, so he kind of was our translator, and we were there uh, doing a vacation Bible school. He said, we want uh, this lady in our church wants you to come visit her home, said she's, uh, she's very proud of her home. We had visited in a lot of homes while we were there. Uh, but she had one of the nicer homes, uh, and it basically was probably two rooms about the size of a, probably 10 by 10. Uh, in the first room, there was a table and a stove and a couple of chairs. Uh, there was actually a wall and a little door opening, and there was a bed. Was a bed. Uh, she had an, an old antique stove that people today would have loved to have. <laughs> it was a gas, three-burner gas stove that was porcelain, red porcelain with white trim on it, Very, really pretty. But, of course, it was just an old stove to them. And the uh, house was built on was haydock blocks. The uh, roof was probably about six foot, flat roof with plywood on it. And, and that's where they lived. And she was so proud of her home. And uh, so when we went in, she uh, asked to have prayer. We talked a little bit. She said, I just want to thank God for his blessings for me and what he's given me in my home. And for many of us, we would have, uh, we would have not considered that a blessing. Uh, but for me, it put everything in perspective as we were there as we had visited in many homes that were built out of pallets, uh, of what it really means to be content. And this lady and her family had found contentment uh, in the blessings that God had given. And uh, that's what Paul begins to teach. And as he's talking about joy, and like I said, the book of Philippians is the whole book, the letter uh, is really about joy. And uh, I, I read this story. A Russian woman lived with her husband and had two children in a very small hut. Her husband's parents lost their home, so she had, uh, they had to take them in. Uh, it was unbearable. Uh, in desperation, she went to the village wise man, whom she knew had solved many problems, and uh, she said, what can I do? Uh, she just begged for some help. I have my husband's family now. We're in this house. So he said, do you have a cow? This wise man asked. She replied, yes. And he said, well, bring the cow into the hut. Come back and see me in a week. So she did as she was instructed. And a week later, she went back to the wise man. And she said, this is utterly unbearable. He said, well, do you have chickens? Yes, she replied. What about them? And he said, well, bring them into the hut. Come back and see me next week. He thought, well, you're out of your mind. But nevertheless, she said, I'm going to follow what he, uh, what he did, what he said because of his reputation. A week later, she came back and said, it's absolutely impossible. She said, our home is a mess. 
and uh, it's utter chaos. He said, all right, take the chickens out, come see me next week. So she took the chickens out, and next week she said, well, it's definitely getting better, but it's still a miserable situation, and of course, you know where we're headed, so he said, okay, take the cow out. So she took the cow out and came back and said, you know what, it's, it's pretty good. I can live with it now. And, and I guess the, the moral of the story or the lesson of the story is, uh, you know, once uh, it's, a, it's an ideal of perspective, you know, once the things got a lot worse, uh, once the chicken and the cow was gone, then the, the family was, was quite peaceful. They got along fine. And, and uh, sometimes everything is relative. We, we, uh, we understand things a certain way, but when it, when it comes down to understanding that, you know, things could be worse and we see that things could be worse, it's a lot easier to get to that point of contentment. And uh, probably one of the greatest causes, I would say, uh, among believers today in lack of joy is the lack of contentment. I think if we come to a point in our life that we're not content, that, that definitely steals our joy. And tragically, Christians and non-Christians alike fall into the world's lies about contentment. Uh, the world tells us uh, what it is to be content, and never does it seem like we uh, have contentment. It doesn't matter how much you have or how little you have, but uh, it, it seems like no one has contentment any, any longer. And uh, really, in our world today, uh, it, it breeds that. I mean, if you think about uh, the commercials we see, the commercials we see uh, says you're incontent, you're, you're not content, you're uncontent, whatever the word that, that fits there. And, and, uh, and if you'll buy these things uh, or if you'll use our product, you're going to find contentment there. So, so it's kind of just the ideal today that, that we are all uh, lack contentment in our lives and, and, and uh, the advertisers have got a hold of that. So as we look at this, there's a, there's a big contrast between uh, the, the discontent of the world and, and what Paul has to say about contentment to his church, to this, to this uh, uh, church at Philippi and the letter that he wrote them. And we're going to start down in verse 10. Last week we were in chapter 4, of, of, and, and we looked at verse 4, and, and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So he's continuing to talk about joy, and he continues to talk about rejoicing. And in verse 10, he says this, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, you lacked an opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned, whatever state I am, to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound, and everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and both to suffer need, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now in verse 10, Paul talks about his gratitude to this church and their, their financial support that they've sent him, and as I was reading that, kind of how this falls together. Now, this is not biblical, okay, what I'm fixing to say. This is just my opinion, so don't take a note and say it says this in the Bible. I'm just giving you my opinion. I think evidently the church had, had supported Paul at some point in the past, and for some reason, they haven't supported him in a while. And so they send him some kind of gift. And, and in my mind, because of what he's written, 
I think they probably probably sent something that said like we're really sorry that we haven't been in contact with you. We we're, we've not been able to do these things, or for some reason this or that we've not been able to support this. Because the reason I say that is he says I rejoice greatly in the Lord that you've renewed your concern for me. I know that you've been concerned, but I know you've had not not had an opportunity to show it. So so by him writing those things, it makes me think that there's something came with that gift that that Paul wanted to reassure them that, hey, I, I never thought you didn't support me, and, and I, I, I'm glad that you supported me. I'm glad that you're concerned for me, and I understand that you've had things going on, and you've not had an opportunity to do that. But I don't want to spend any more time there. That's just kind of a, an idea. We're kind of going to skip through verse 10, and we're going to get down to verse 12 and 13. And I want us to listen this morning what Paul has to say about the secret of contentment. Because like I said at the beginning, I think contentment is something that will rob us, that will steal us of joy if we fail to have contentment. Now, in verse 12, uh, when we read it, some translations are a little bit different. The NIV says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I, I read out of the New King James Version a while ago, and Paul tells us that, that he had to learn the state of contentment. I want us to give that a little bit of thought, and that's my first point this morning, that he tells us that contentment is a learned state. Contentment didn't naturally come to Paul. It wasn't something that, that he said, I, I have contentment. In, in verse 11, he says, I had to learn the secret. I had to learn to be content. So, so contentment is something that we learn. And, and Paul's contentment is not instantaneous. It's, it's the fruit of, of many years of faithful fellowship. So as he's walking with Christ, he learns from his experiences that he could trust the Lord to provide whatever he needed. Now, I, I went through that words there, and I want you to really think about what I'm saying here. Paul learned from experience that he could trust the Lord to provide what he needed. You know what we call that? We call that faith, don't we? I mean, I've used this acronym a lot, forsaking all, I trust him. And Paul says, Am I, as I was learning to be content, I learned that I could trust the Lord to provide whatever I needed. We see that his word, whether he's well fed, whether he's hungry, I learned that God is going to provide. I think when we can come to that part, point in our life of, of, of understanding, you know what, the Lord's going to provide whatever our need. I think part of our problem is we don't understand what contentment is and where it's really found. We've been taught to understand that, that contentment comes from people. Contentment comes from, from if, I just, uh, if I'm hanging out with the right crowd, if I'm around the right group of people, but, but people are going to let us down. They're going to not meet our expectations. I, I think sometimes we think if, if contentment comes from position, if, if I have the, the right job, if I have the right income, if I have the, the, the nice car, if I have the right house and a nice, uh, a nice place to live and, and I have the nice family, that, that I'm going to be content. And, and when we begin to think that way, we've missed what contentment really is. And, and that's what Paul is saying, and he's teaching his church at Philippi, and I hope he's teaching us today, and especially myself, what it really means to be content. It's not about our position. It's not about the people that we're in contact with. It's really contentment is, is reaching the state of mind that we're at peace with where we are and who we are. Now, that's a mouthful, isn't it? Isn't that a mouthful? Are you with me? Say, I am. Contentment is reaching the state of mind that we're at peace with where we are and who we are in Christ. You know, we're not going to be content until we can reach that point of saying, I've learned, 
who I am and where I am in Christ. And when we reach that point, I think we start moving toward that state of, of learning what contentment is. The second thing, contentment's not found in possessions or circumstances. And, and this is what Paul says. He says, I know what it is to be a base. Now, I didn't know what that word meant, so I went and I started looking at it. It means to be in need. That's one meaning. But, but even deeper than that, he says, I know what it means to be humiliated, I know what it means to be demeaned. I know what it means to be destitute. I know what it means to be in need. That, that word that Paul uses, it, it covers all of those definitions. So, so more than just saying I had a need, Paul said, I, I, know what it's be, I know what it is to be on the bottom rung of the ladder. I've experienced it all. I, I, I've lived those things. But I also know what it is to abound it, in everywhere, in all things. I've learned both to be full, I've learned to be hungry, both to abound and both to suffer need. And Paul is saying regardless of our circumstances, whether, whether he has money, whether he has no money, whether people have money, whether they have no money, whether there's abundance, whether there's, whether there's anything, strange circumstances, he says we can still have contentment. Again, that's a learned state because he realized God is going to provide for his needs. In God providing for his needs, he realized that they're not found in the possessions that he has. He, they're not found in the circumstances around him. He, he writes to his son in the ministry. Now, that's not his, his son, but his son in the ministry, Timothy. In 1 Timothy 6, 6, he says, Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. If you mark in your Bibles, turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, and underline that. Because look, look at what he's saying. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, this, this verse 7 is something I bet you've all heard. And it's one of them sayings that maybe you thought, this is in the Bible or this is not in the Bible. But have you ever heard that? You brought nothing in the world, you're going to take nothing out of the world? That's in the Bible. Here it is. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain that we're going to carry nothing out of this world. Somebody said if you, if you, could, uh, if you could fill your, monies with pocket, your pockets with money when you die, your, your arm's going to be too stiff to get it in there anyway. So, you know, you, you're not going to carry anything out of the world. And, and having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. Let's look again. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain that we can take nothing out of this world. And having food and clothing with these things, we shall be content. Verse 9, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptations and snares, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. And that, remember, it doesn't say money is the root. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. What Paul is telling Timothy is we start with nothing, we're going to end with nothing. So contentment is not about what we accumulate while we're living here. Uh, contentment is about satisfaction that, that one day that we're going to have all that God has to offer. And, and Paul says, in those things, I found contentment. In Hebrews 13, 5, the author says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things that you have. 
Again, I think that's a mouthful. We go back to contentment is reaching the state of mind that we're at peace with where we are and who we are in Christ. When we can come to that point of our life of saying, you know what, I'm going to be content with what I have. Now, that doesn't mean we stop striving. It doesn't mean we, we stop working, we stop, we stop going and, and, and saying, hey, God, I, I want these things, and, and I want you to help me get there. But when we lose focus, and that's what Paul's talking about to Timothy, when those things become more important than our relationship with God, then we've lost contentment. So, so Paul says, hey, here's where we find that contentment. It finds in, in being living and being satisfied day after day after day as we continue to move forward and struggle. Here's the third thing. Contentment comes from learning to appreciate what we have in Christ. Do you ever think about that? What we truly have in Christ a while ago, we talked about things we're thankful for, and, and I know many of you thought this. You know, I'm thankful for salvation. I'm thankful that Jesus Christ is my, is my Lord and Savior. But, but think about what we have in Christ, and, and I think when we begin to appreciate that, we, we, we become content. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4.13. Most of you have that memorized. I told a group on Wednesday night a few weeks ago, uh, I worked in Garland, and, and uh, we, could, we have to wear uniforms now, but we could wear anything then. I had a T-shirt from, uh, from, the youth, from my youth group when I was a youth minister, and it said Philippians 4.13 on it. And this guy that I work with said, hey, what's that, what's that verse? If you ever wear a shirt that's got a verse on it, know what it says. And I said, uh, what's it say? And he said, it says Philippians 4.13. I said, oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He goes, man, I can't believe you know that. I said, I can't either. I just happened to, that happened to be an easy one. You know, I just happened to have that right shirt on. But, but that, that's a great verse to remember that, that Paul says, you know what? I, I appreciate what I have in Christ, and I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Now, when we see what Paul actually wrote in the Greek, what he actually wrote, he wrote that phrase twice. It's one word, but he wrote it twice that, that, that the people would have understood what he said. And, and here's how he would have written it. I can do all things. I really can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. That's how they would have read that. I can do all things. I can really do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I think contentment comes from living a life of understanding that everything pales in comparison to knowing Christ. Everything else, it, it fails if we know Christ, if we walk with Christ, if we if we deal our daily lives with Christ, and I think in that we find contentment. And, and discontentment, where does it come from? It, it, comes, it comes from feeling deprived. If you think about it, if we're discontent, why? Because we feel like we're missing out. We feel like we're being deprived of something. We feel like we, we deserve something, and, and we begin to compare ourselves to others. And, and as we do those things, we, we say, well, I'm discontent. And, and what Paul is saying is, you know what? We need to turn our minds back and, and appreciate what we have in Christ. Paul looked to the Lord at every circumstance in his life to be content. Everything he came upon... He, he, he prayed about, Lord, help me not to be self-sufficient. He, he went to Christ. Uh, uh, help me not to be complacent. He went to Christ. In, in all circumstances, 
When he was tempted, he went to Christ. When he was blessed, he went to Christ. When things were rough, he went to Christ. When things were great, he went to Christ. He realized the the great thing that he had in Jesus Christ. And I think when we miss out on contentment sometimes, we miss out on the fact that Christ is something that we have that's truly a blessing for us, Jesus Christ. I'm going to close by giving you four things that will help us become more content or help us to become a more content person. And the first one may get your attention, but I want you to stay with me through this. So this is how to become a more content person. The first is this. Learn to act better than you feel. Learn to act better than you feel. Now, let me explain that. Wouldn't it be great if we always felt like doing everything we wanted to do? Wouldn't that be great? I mean, if we just, every day, everything we wanted to do, we, we, uh, we, we, we just felt great. But, you know, sometimes we have to do things just because they're the right thing to do, don't we? I mean, sometimes it's, it's, it's something we don't particularly want to do. We may not particularly feel like doing it, but it just needs doing so to what I say, learn to act better than you feel. To truly be content, we're going to have to, to, to let our minds be our guide, not our emotions. And I think when we do that, uh, that, that we, we begin to understand a little bit of that contentment. Listen to this. Someone said, it's easier to act your way into a better way of feeling than to feel your way into a better way of acting. I think that's true. Someone else said, if you go through the motions, you will feel the emotion and the motto, the motto of, of, of AA is this, fake it till you can make it. Now, now you may say, well, wait a minute, Jake, you're, you're telling me to be a hypocrite. You're telling me that I need to do something I really don't want to do, and I'm just to fake it. I'm just to be a hypocrite. Well, not really. Let me give you an illustration. Think about a, a, if you're a mother or if you know a mother, a, some, somebody with a, a newborn, and you've You've had a rough night. You had a rough few days, a rough week or two, and and at at three o'clock in the morning, the baby cries out. You don't feel like getting up, do you? You don't want to wake up. You you don't want to go in there and change a diaper and feed a bottle and and rock and pet and get her back in the bed or get him back in the bed. But you do it, don't you? Why? Because it's got to be done. You, you, you got to, to act better than you feel. And so you get up, you do all these things, you kind of fake it. You kind of do those things because it's just the right thing to do. And then at the end of that, you go back to bed and what do you do? You elbow your husband because he never heard the baby cry. And then, you know, and you say, you didn't even get up, you didn't even hear it. But, but you know, sometimes we have to go to the point of, of doing the thing that's just the right thing to do. And I think in that is where we find contentment. That's the first thing. Act better than you feel sometimes. The second thing, refuse to compare yourselves with others. That's kind of a no-brainer, but if we really want to have contentment, refuse to compare yourselves with others. Now, I want to ask you a question. We've probably all done this. If you compare yourself to someone, do you ever compare yourselves with somebody that has less than you do? We always pick somebody with more, don't we? 
We always pick somebody that we feel like they're a little better off, they have a little nicer stuff, they have a little more money, they have a little more of this, and we, we just play that comparison game. Man, if I could have what they had, and if I could drive what they do, if I could do what they go and vacation where they've okay, if I could do it. Well, stop the comparison game. You're not going to find contentment there, and if you're going to compare yourselves, why don't you go compare yourselves to that lady in Mexico that lives in a, a 10 by 10 Haydock block house? And, and if we're going to play that game, then, then don't pick the million-dollar mansion out. Pick the little shack on the side of the road or the, the old jalopy that's driving down the road and, and begin to look at that and compare ourselves. And, and then we really begin to understand how blessed we are. But I would say don't play the comparison game at all. And I think in that you find contentment. Here's the third thing. Accept people the way they are and not the way you would like them to be. That's another mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> accept your husband. I mean, accept people the way they are and not as you would like them to be. You know, after, after 25, 30 years in the ministry, I finally discovered you can't fix people, can you? If you've been married for any number of years, you realize you can't fix people, can you? You just kind of got to accept people the way they are. And until we can kind of get to that point in our life, we're going to struggle with contentment. Because if we always are trying to mold somebody into what we want them to be, there's always going to be discontentment there. Somebody said churches are like people. We, uh, they don't change in order that they might be accepted. They must be accepted in order that they might change. I think that's a good statement. So, so we need to learn to accept folks as they are and not as we would like them to be. Now, remember this. God accepts us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. He he begins to make a change in us, but that's through the Holy Spirit of God, and that's through the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not through our work. And here's the last thing. Accept things. Now, that was accept people the way they are, not as you'd like them to be. Here's the last. Accept things as they are and not as you would like them to be. When we, when we refuse to accept things as they are, we cut ourselves off from the present. Things are like they are sometimes, and we cut ourselves off from the presence. We, we kill our chances for contentment. Now, does that mean we just have to go and say, well, this is the way it is, and this way it's going to be, and I can't change? No, there's some things we can work towards. There's some changes we can make, but, but we need to accept things as they are. I think when we do those four things, when we, when we learn to act a little better than we feel, when we, when we learn to refuse to compare ourselves to others, when we accept people the way they are, not the way we want them to be, and we accept things the way they are, not like we'd like them to be, I think we're well on our road and well on the way to contentment. Let's pray together. Father, this morning as we look at Paul and we really think about joy, we think about joy in our Christian life, we think about joy in our homes, in our circumstances, in our jobs, Lord, I, I pray that we would learn, as Paul has taught us, that, that the, the, the secret of contentment is something that's learned, something that we practice over years of life and, and we learn to be content in those circumstances, whether it's plenty or whether it's less, that we can learn, to, uh, that, that we can be content, that, that, Father, we learn that contentment's not found in possessions or circumstances, but our true contentment is found in our Father. 
who provides all of our needs, that we're richly blessed through the Father. And then, Father, I pray also that we learn that contentment is found in who we are and what we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we would live this life serving you, that we would live this life in abundance, that you tell us you've come, that we'd have life, we'd have it more abundantly. But, Father, I pray as we strive for, to better ourselves, as we strive for uh, things that we desire with our heart, I pray that we would strive with our eyes upon you, that your blessings would be used for your kingdom. Father, I pray that we wouldn't lose sight of that. Lord, I pray today as we just consider who we are and what we have in you, Lord, I pray that your spirit would just give us wisdom, that you would lead us, guide us, and direct us. And Lord, if we have a, an opportunity now just to, to revive our spirits, to revive ourselves in you, Lord, I pray that your spirit would move among us. I pray, Father, for any here that's never accepted you as their personal Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of, of thanksgiving, knowing that you've purchased us with the price, the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, and, Lord, that we'd accept that free gift. So, Lord, today, as we have the invitation, I pray, Lord, that you would lead us, that you'd guide us and direct us with your Spirit, and I pray this in the name of Jesus.